Ah, nice to see you. I'm Jim and this is On The Left Side, the alternative football show. And what a week it's been in football. We're slap bang in the middle of the January transfer window. And one of the more interesting stories so far has been the transfer of Stefan Jovetic from Inter Milan to Sevilla on loan. The Serbian is delighted with his new job and has even set about learning Spanish to fit in with his new teammates. So what did he do? Get one of those Rosetta Stone CDs? Hire a Spanish tutor? Nope. He watched loads and loads of Mexican soap operas. Just imagine that for a second. A new striker signs for Chelsea, and in order to learn the language, watches endless reruns of EastEnders. A great idea, as long as most of his conversations with teammates revolved around screaming arguments, puerile fights, and illicit affairs. In fact, for a footballer, that will probably work just fine. So, what's coming up on this week's show? A love affair comes to an end. FIFA balls up the World Cup, and Arsene Wenger isn't a DJ. But first, some Premier Punditry. Michael Owen has really let himself down this season. Last year, he was looking like he was head and shoulders above everyone else in the most ridiculous pundit awards, but now he's let it slip. Even his stupid claims last season are seemingly coming true this season. Leicester conceivably could go down next year. <laughs> oh, how we love. But it's not just his crazy predictions coming true that sees this award slipping from his grasp. It's also an old battle horse really stepping up his game. Mr. Paul Merson. Sure, for years he has been in the European spots of idiotic punditry, but this week he's taken it to title contention. It all started on Soccer Saturday when the former Arsenal man was asked to pick his favourites for FA Cup progression if someone was having a cheeky bet. And Paul came over all mystic Merson. The FA Cup, uh, give us three teams that you might have a couple of quid on. Everton, definitely. They lost at home to Leicester City. Stoke. They lost at home 2-0 to Wolves. And I'll go Bournemouth. And the Premier League team Bournemouth lost out 3-0 to League One Millwall in that one. Paul the Octopus could have done better. And he's dead. Obviously, he needs to regain a bit of punditry credibility. And the best way to do that is with a well-aimed rant. So the Gerard Depardieu-like aimed both barrels at Hull City for having the gall to sack a good old British manager and replace them with one of them funny foreigners in Marco Silva. Why has it always got to be a foreign manager? I've got nothing against foreign managers, don't get me wrong. Oh, no. This is like when one of your mates starts a sentence with some of my best friends are black, isn't it? What's he, what's he know about the Premier League? What is Hang on. Is your impression of foreigners taken purely from Manuel in Faulty Towers? I know nothing. I'd also like to pull you up on this statement, Merce. Won the league with Olympiacos? I could win the league with Olympiacos. <laughs> no, I'm sure you could. I mean, the evidence is all there, isn't it? After your brief spell as manager of Walsall, when you managed to take them from the lowly realms of the championship and drop them in the lofty position of League One relegation candidates, that's pretty much the same as winning the Greek League. But if not Silver, then which born and bred Englishman should be doing the job, in Paul's opinion? Merson took to talk sport to tell us. There's enough British managers out there, come on. Why not Thierry Henry? Ripped up the Premier League, elite, and he'll give them a lift. 
Oh, yeah, that bastion of Englishness that is Terry Henry. A man so English that he pretty much wears a beret, striped T-shirt and onions around his neck every time he appears on TV. Who knows, maybe he's right. With the right job, maybe Henri could line up alongside those other famous English managerial greats like Arsene Wenger, Jose Mourinho and Rafa Benitez. That'll really show those bloody foreigners who's boss. Don't ever change, Merce. Don't ever change. Cast your mind back to February of last year and one of the greatest love stories ever told in football. Slaven Bilic and Dmitry Payet. It's hard to describe. I have to get some poet lessons you know, to describe his importance to us. A love that burned hot and burned bright, even when the pair were separated during the European Championships, a festival of football. There was only one thing on the West Ham manager's mind. The best players are there, Iniesta, Nolito, Payet. But Payet with his unbelievable season and ability. For me, it would be ideal for Payet to start on his natural yeah, position. Payet scored more, by the way, <laughs> if, you, if you forgot. <laughs> but everything good must one day come to an end. And Slavon Bilic this week learnt an important lesson. Everyone you ever loved will one day hurt you. I had a situation with a player. It is Dimitri Payet. Uh, he wants to leave. He's hardly chipper at the best of times, but he sounds absolutely heartbroken. Uh, until he changed his attitude, uh, he's out of the team. We ain't gonna sell him. And he refused to play for us. Dimitri Payet is essentially behaving how my three-year-old behaves when he's not winning a game of snakes and ladders. He just doesn't want to play anymore. It's pathetic. But football's a weird world, isn't it? If I told my boss at Tesco that I really didn't want to stack shelves anymore and I was, in fact, not going to stack shelves anymore until he found me a better shelf-stacking job elsewhere, I'd no doubt get the sack rather than get chucked a whole load more money or an exciting transfer to Marks & Spencer's. But in football, that's exactly what happens. And I don't mean Payet's going to get a job stacking shelves in Marks & Spencer's, although that's pretty much what he deserves. He will get a new contract or a transfer that he wants. It's just wrong. But there is happy transfer news elsewhere and a tale at Everton where Morgan Schneidling has ended his Manchester United nightmare with a £20 million move to Goodison Park. And he seemed delighted with the move, saying in his interview with EvertonFC.com that he was ready to eat football again. Yum yum, tasty football. Hang on. Didn't Zlatan say something like that a few weeks ago? There's nothing quite like Zlatan Ibrahimovic's quote. And he had a quote to the media who were questioning his ability at Manchester United. I came to the Premier League and everyone thought it would not be possible, but like always, I make them eat their balls. What is going on at Manchester United? Why is everyone eating everyone else's balls? I don't know what kind of strange methodology Jose Mourinho has been bringing in at Old Trafford, but clearly a sports dietitian is in desperate need of recruitment. But what do I know? Maybe that's what a modern footballer eats nowadays. A healthy diet of balls. That would certainly explain what's going on with Ronaldo at the moment. And that's the original Brazilian one, not the permatanned football-playing Ken doll. 
The former Real Madrid striker has been piling on the pounds since retirement and it didn't go unnoticed by former teammate and captain obvious Michael Owen, who, after a Real Madrid alumni get-together, tweeted, I thought I was putting on the pounds until I saw my old mate Ronnie. I'd say zinger, but Ronaldo'd probably eat it before I had the chance. Um, 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 the roly-poly Brazilian didn't see the funny side of Michael Owen's joke and hit back in an interview saying that he was shocked by Owen's gag and didn't understand why his weight was of so much interest to other people. Thankfully, his old mate Roberto Bendy Kick Carlos stuck up for him as well. He said, I do not like these jokes. The thing about Ronaldo is not about his body, it's his heart. He has a very big heart. Well, an enlarged heart is one of the side effects of coronary disease, so maybe. And anyway, it doesn't really look like his big heart is the problem from the photos that I've seen. I'd say it was his big bones. His very, very big bones. Bad week for international football. Great week for the makers of Panini sticker albums. It's fair to say there are a few mixed emotions as FIFA announced they've decided to increase the number of teams playing in the World Cup to 48. That's 16 more than are currently involved. I didn't even know there were 48 countries. Is it possible that FIFA are just going to invent some more and throw them into the mix? If so, can I suggest maybe Blatter wasn't that bad at all, is Stan, as a possibility. Much like David Cameron trying to stay in power with the promise of a Brexit, Gianni Infantino promised to increase the size of the World Cup when he was elected, and now it's happening. He promised the members of FIFA that he would have a bigger World Cup if they voted for him, and now they're being paid back by having a bigger World Cup. His dream of making the World Cup inclusive for everyone looks like it'll come to fruition for the 2026 final. But isn't the point of a World Cup that it's not inclusive, it's an exclusive tournament in which the best teams in the world compete for the ultimate prize? Everyone gets their chance via qualification already. Qualification that is designed to weed out the worst and let the cream rise to the top. Just because when you throw a party at school, you invite the kid that sits in the corner smelling a cheese and eating crayons, it doesn't mean when he gets there, he's going to improve the ambience of the event. But what it does do is it dramatically increases the chance of such budding football nations as China and India making the finals. These nations have massive populations, and massive populations mean massive potential TV-watching audiences, and massive potential TV-watching audiences means massive potential product-buying individuals and sponsorship-enabling football fans. But of course, this decision has nothing, nothing at all, to do with money. If we look at how football has developed in the last decades, in the last years as well in particular, we can see that um, the quality has become higher and higher all over the world. For this reason, the expansion has been as well decided. It's about football. He said before adding, now hand me that 50 pound note because I want to light another one of these rhino horn gold-plated cigars. It's hard to believe that the idea of more cash than even Set Blatter could dream of streaming through the FIFA offices wasn't part of the motivation behind the decision to accept the proposal, especially when FIFA's very own leaked document said that they stood to make an extra $1 billion from expanding the tournament. 
A sum of money that it's virtually impossible to say without sounding just a little bit evil. One billion dollars. Come to think of it, there's more than a passing resemblance between Gianni and Dr. Evil, isn't there? I shall call him Mini-Me. With all of these criticisms, it doesn't even touch on the new format benefiting defensive football, the sheer infrastructure that a country would now need to support a World Cup bid, or the arguments that I'm bound to have with my wife as I try and watch the four proposed games of World Cup football that will be played every single day during the tournament. <coughs> but none of that is important. And now, 25% of the world's footballing population will get a ticket to the World Cup rodeo. And in just a few years' time, we could see Gareth Southgate's England coming unstuck on the big stage against the likes of Burkina Faso, Uzbekistan and Honduras. I'm, of course, joking. England probably won't even qualify for the 2026 World Cup. Well, that was the worst performance I have ever seen from an England team, ever. And finally, it's been a mystery to Gunners fans for years why they have always fallen short when it comes to picking up major honours. But on the left side, may have discovered the answer, thanks to an interview with Arsenal midfielder Alex Oxlin chamberpot on Kicker Media. It might have been Theo went around and sort of organised a quick little playlist, like told everyone to write in a song they wanted. They actually had a column for the boss, and I think he threw in Frank Sinatra. Yep, the problem is they've been letting Arsene Wenger DJ in the dressing room. And he's rubbish at picking pre-match tunes. You can't be listening to Frank Sinatra and then Rick Ross next track. Like, it's just, it didn't last long. It doesn't take a genius to look at Wenger and work out that he may well be an intelligent and diligent football manager, but you can't quite see him with his top off motivating an Ibiza crowd at a sweaty hardcore EDM gig, can you? Come on, let's have it. Let's Make some noise. Yep, Wenger's choice of old blue eyes Sinatra is probably more suited to motivating the team at one of those walking football games than his Arsenal team, who, as we know, are mostly motivated by cold, hard cash. <laughs> Boom, we are done. Thank you for listening. On the left side, your alternative football show will be back again next Monday morning with a brand new episode. So make sure you've subscribed for free to get next week's episode as soon as it... Hello? Oh, it, it's for you. Wait a second, please. That shouldn't be working like that. Sorry, it should have been off. Right. What was the question? Let's have it. Hey, Sanchez. Sweet move, bro. This tune is awesome. It was made by DJ's Jazzy Jim and MC McKinley. Hold on. I love this beat. Let's have it. Those dudes and abrupt audio. Whistle Posse makes a war!